Hey everyone, it's Robert Poole. Welcome back to the Growing Your B2B Small Business Podcast. Today's episode is about how to safeguard that precious asset that we all have and cherish. And that asset is time. Let's get started. You have a B2B small business. Are you frustrated with the lack of resources to grow in B2B? So where do we go to learn how to grow our B2B small business? Should we focus on traditional offline methods, online techniques, or both? How do we bring in more clients and revenue and yet keep our sanity? I'm Robert Poole. Join me as I share two decades of B2B growth experience, learn new techniques, and combine both offline and online growth strategies to grow my own business. If you're listening to this podcast, you're part of an elite group of achievers who aren't willing to settle for just a nine-to-five job. You're one of the heroes in our society, and you should be proud of it. Welcome to the tribe, and welcome home. Okay, everyone, I hope you're having an awesome day today. In the last episode, we talked about the importance of focusing on the right things in your business, particularly when it comes to finances. In this episode, we're going to talk about how you can gain back your time and spend it focusing on the things that actually grow your business and get rid of the other things that are needlessly chewing up your time. Now, this is not about time management. That's a whole different episode. This is about identifying things that you do in your daily life that you shouldn't be doing, offloading those things to someone else and focusing on what's actually important to you in your business. You know, most of us spend way too much time on non-revenue producing activities, and effectively, we're working for way less than we're actually worth. I mean, don't get me wrong, ultimately, profit is what matters in business, and to be more specific, net cash in the bank is the ultimate goal. I mean, profit is just a theory on paper that rarely reflects reality, but you can't have any profit or cash without substantial revenue, so revenue is a good thing to focus on, especially if you're not profitable to the extent that you want to be right now. So revenue generating means focusing on sales and marketing, and that includes, you know, continually selling to your own clients and things like, you know, direct conversations with prospects, emailing a follow-up to a prospect you talk to, uh, you know, coaching and helping your sales team to close in-progress deals if you have a sales team, working on the sales message for your new product launch campaign, doing a survey with your clients to find out how you can better serve them, i.e. sell them more stuff. Uh, you know, and we've done internal surveys at our company, Sales Double, where we've found that a lot of clients spend literally 50 and even 60% of their day doing, you know, sort of administrative and other non-revenue generating activities. You know, in my mind, if you aren't spending at least 70% of your time or more on revenue producing activities, you're really leaving a lot of money on the table. I mean, the question is, why do we resist and hold on to things? You know, I think there's a couple factors. Uh, you know, a lot of us uh, started with, you know, very little cash or no cash. Uh, you know, we didn't have a huge, big investment or anything, you know, and uh, so it's a kind of a habit. You know, we can do it. So we feel we should do it, you know, um, be a tough guy. And, you know, you know, in reality, what's actually being tough is to make the decision to outsource a lot of things. You know, it's also another reason I think is to avoid doing the important things that we're scared of or, quite frankly, don't want to do. And, you know, we think that no one can do it as good as we can. I think that's a, probably a big one you know, or they can't do it right. You know, we think it'll take too much time to explain something to somebody else to have them do it. So it's just kind of a, well, I'll just do it myself. And then, you know, let's face it, finally change is hard. So, you know, if we agree that, uh, you know, we all tend to hold on to certain things and you know, resist offloading them, how do we decide to, what gets offloaded? My favorite uh, test to kind of figure this out is what I call the dollar per hour test. Basically, you know, you calculate your hourly rate. And, uh, you know, everybody thinks, well, you know, I'm a successful businessman. I get distributions every year. I'm not in, or I'm a salaried. I don't have an hour. Like, well, you know, everyone does have an equivalent, you know, it's just how you're looking at it. But I mean, the calculation simple, you know, take your earnings or net profit or 
whatever you've taken out of the company for the last 12 months, whether that's in the form of a salary distributions, you know, it doesn't matter again. And divide that by 2080, which is 52 weeks times 40 hours per year. And that gives you a rough estimate of your hourly rate. You know, you can tweak this however you want, but you know, you get the idea. For example, if you're making hundred K in the last 12 months, you know, divide that by 2080. And, you know, I think you get, you know, it was around approximately 48, $50 an hour. You know, the thing is that if you're worth $50 an hour and you can pay an employee or a contractor who makes $25 an hour to do the same, same task, you know, if you decide to do it yourself because you want to control things or, you know, um, I mean, guess what? You just left, you know, $25 an hour times the total number of hours spent on activity per year on the table that you could have, you know, had in your pocket. Uh, I mean, that's not pocket change when you start to add it up. You know, if you outsource it, you just gave yourself a raise while at the same time getting rid of a headache and, you know, one more thing you have to do. You know, one concept I like to keep in mind, you know, I think uh, if I remember correctly, Keith Cunningham is the one that talks about this in his book. And, you know, he says that, uh, you know, if you had a board of directors that, you know, followed you around all day, you know, would they give you a raise or fire you because you're spending too much time doing menial tasks that someone else is capable of doing either inside your company or outsourced? You know, if you've been in business any length of time, you know, a lot of you get paid quite, quite a bit on an hourly basis if you add up, you know, an outside investor or a board would fire any employee was, was highly paid and spent time doing tasks and what at a lower pay scale could do. And you would probably fire any of your employees that was a highly paid uh, managerial employee and they were, you know, stuffing envelopes or doing some kind of administrative task. So I think we were all guilty of this to a certain extent, uh, myself included, you know. Um, but, you know, the question is, how do we get rid of these things? So, there's really two options, uh, as you know, I've mentioned, there's, you know, delegate in-house or outsource to some kind of third party. You know, when you're delegating in-house, um, you know, the, you have to look at it a couple of different things, you know. First, make sure that, you know, the opportunity cost makes sense. I, you know, is their hourly wage greater than you can have it done by an outsider? Um, does the employee have time? Will it take away from other more important tasks? Do they have the skill set? Can someone else do it quicker or better? I mean, how much time do you have to spend managing them versus an outsider? And then, you know, you have to look at the real financial costs in terms of, you know, employee benefits, the office costs, you know, et cetera. You can add all that stuff up, but you need to add up everything to see the real true cost to compare it to an outsider. So, you know, some benefits, you know, obviously you have more supervision, but, you know, that can actually be a, a problem if it's done proper, improperly and, you know, you get into micromanaging. Um, you know, there's the trust factor, uh, which is, of course, a, a big deal. You know, you obviously probably trust your employees more than you trust, you know, some third party. And, you know, they're easy access. I mean, they're right there. And, you know, you're already paying them and you probably probably know the pretty good idea what the quality of their work is. So those are some of the benefits. Um, you know, so downside, uh, you know, like I said, you can get caught up micromanaging. Very easy to do that. You know, you may even feel a little guilty asking or just saying, you know, I'll do it myself, you know, um, instead of saying, you know, Mary, you need to do this or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on their job, of course, you know, you have to pay for their benefits, their insurance and all that where with a contractor, you don't have to pay any of that. They may not have the expertise uh, that someone else has. And, you know, you may be taking the, that employee away from important things if they don't, you know, and if they don't do well, you have to pull them off of it. And, you know, that's really hard to do and can create bad feelings uh, pretty quickly. You know, you may have to even give them a raise for more responsibility. But let's say you decide that, uh, you know, the benefits outweigh the uh, downside on something like this. So how, how do you, how do you actually delegate to an employee? You know, first look around at your town and take an inventory of all the skill sets and identify potential candidates. And then figure out how you can reshuffle tasks. You know, it's, 
it's easier if you have them cross-trained already. And, you know, importantly, you got to check in with employees as to the movement. People don't like change, uh, you know, and if they don't like a new task, they're really going to do a horrible job at it. And it's going to quickly create a cancer in your business. You know, set up some kind of supervision, accountability, you know, quality check type of thing on a regular activity to make sure they stay on task with it. So that's sort of the in-house uh, side of it. But what about, the, you know, the idea of outsourcing it to a third party? You know, I'm uh, a capitalist, of course, and, you know, I believe wherever it's done cheaply, you know, I mean, why pay San Francisco rates when you can pay Alabama rates? You know, in the 90s and 2000s, a lot of offshore, you know, outsourcing was the hot trend. But, you know, a lot of that has, you know, been brought back to the U.S. You know, big companies did it, but it was really hard for small companies to do it at any kind of scale. But I'd say the last, you know, 10 to 15 years or so in particular, it's really become increasingly easy to outsource and find com you know, competent contractors who are specialists and can do things quicker and better and at a lower price probably than some of your in-house people. Now, I'm not suggesting you outsource labor to some sweatshop in China that treats their labor like slaves, but you know, there's a lot of low-cost areas around the globe that somebody can make a, a great wage uh, by what you're paying them, and it's much less than you'd be paying here in the U.S., one of the problems, you know, you got to get past the trust barrier and figure out how to ensure they're truly more skilled than your in-house people. You know, and you need to make sure you're very specific in writing on the scope of the task and the time. You know, and you have, of course, you have to find them somewhere, you know, freelance or Upwork, you know, something like that. And you have to worry about, you know, potential confidentiality. You know, how do you protect yourself and your company? You know, and then again, you have to look at cost, you know, in-house versus outsourcing. Is a big enough discount to, to look at a third party? And then how do you judge the quality of the skill set, uh, you know, to find out if it's superior? You know, again, you know, benefits, most of the time it's, it is less expensive than in-house. And there's no issue with you getting involved or tempted to micromanage it yourself. And it's very easy to fire them and choose a new company. Whereas, you know, you give a, something to an employee and you have to take it away from it. That's, you know, like I said, can create bad blood quickly. You know, and they're, it's likely to find experts in that particular area because you have a much bigger group of people to choose from. You know, and you can control the time and the cost of the activity much easier than having it in-house. You know, and leverage, you can only do so much with the employees you have in-house, so you can do a lot more with, you know, outsourced uh, contractors. But if you look at it, you know, there's obviously some downsides. You know, you don't have direct supervision, which, you know, has its problems, but, you know, you obviously are not there right with them. You also don't have the trust and, you know, have to safeguard internal things and think through you know, uh, use NDAs and good security practices and all that kind of stuff, you know, and coming from an outside perspective without real knowledge of your internal company, you know, they may not understand things as well as an employee. So you're going to have to get over that hump with them, you know, and finally, I think it can be very difficult to, to filter through all the people out there and find somebody or a company that uh, really provides the kind of quality you're looking for. So again, let's say you decided to outsource uh, what do you need to do? Well, first of all, I think you uh, need to decide on a very narrow scope for your first project or task when you find somebody and write down as many specifics as you can. You know, a third party is not going to know your company's processes, so they need a very specific specification and guidance on what's expected. You know, I think, you, as I said, uh, you can look at contractor sites like Upwork or Freelancer and get an idea of what projects are being posted, how much they cost, the description of the activities, et cetera. And this helps you th think through the description and what you may have missed and price it appropriately. You know, if it's a one-time or even a test for an ongoing project or task, you know, you can do some kind of contest. Freelancer allows this. Uh, I don't think Upwork does, and, but contests are a great way to do it. You know, if you find people are bidding at or below your stated price, uh, you know, you're on the right track. So it gives you some feedback on, you know, price and all that. 
Um, so then give, when you find somebody, give the contractor a small test that's inexpensive and see what the quality of the work is. You know, if they're hourly, start with them, you know, five or 10 hours, you know, whatever is long enough to judge their competence and then turn in some kind of sample of the work. And then once they've proved they can handle small stuff, you can gradually start adding more things and you'll be able to find out more about them and, you know, so on as your relationship progresses. So just to give you a quick example that we used in our company, um, you know, recently uh, we had a new program that we were putting out and just, we just needed a, a quick logo quickly for this program. Uh, and, you know, we have an in-house designer who's certainly capable of doing it, but she's highly paid and her time is very valuable, skilled in illustrator and graphic design, that sort of thing. But at her rate, it would have cost us, you know, literally several hundred dollars and taken away other stuff that's more important. We were able to run a contest on Freelancer and literally had 700 designs to choose from within 48 hours. And the prize money was $100. And, you know, we never could have matched that doing it in-house. You know, over the years, we've done a combination of delegating in-house and to employees and outsourcing to third parties in recent years. But, I mean, you can do things like graphic design, coding, website design, data entry jobs, documentations of procedures, you know, all kinds of things. It's just, you know, there's all kinds of things out there. So what's the main message of this episode? Number one, your time is very valuable as a leader of your company. If you aren't maximizing the use of your time and focusing on the important things that will grow your business, like sales and marketing and business process optimization, you're really costing your company and yourself a lot of money. How do you do this again? Identify those tasks that should be outsourced or delegated using the dollar per hour test and other considerations. Evaluate the task, re review your in-house resources, and then compare that to an outsourcing uh, to a third party. Execute on one of those strategies and then, you know, expect it to take longer than you can, you know, do it and not the quality that you can do it in. Expect that and accept it and, you know, it'll improve over time. Nobody's ever going to do something as, you know, perfect as much as you will. But you got to be okay with that. And be on constant lookout for these time wasters for your personal time. Review your activities every now and then and be brutally honest. You know, would a board of directors fire you? I think that's the ultimate question. So that's all I have today. I hope you got something out of this and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening today. I hope you learned something you can implement right away. I know your time is valuable and it's really an honor to serve you. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and give me your honest feedback and what future subjects would help you out the most. Now, I've also put together a short ebook on some of the top lessons I've learned in 20 years in a B2B business. You can download a free copy at growyourb2bcompany.com. That's growyourb2bcompany.com.